0: Now, it's nice to be with you again this evening, and indeed, to see everyone that's gathered for the ministry of the Word of God. Now, we'll read from the Word of God, first of all, before I say anything, and we're going to read a number of probably well-known scriptures, but they'll begin in Matthew and chapter 16. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 16. Matthew 16, and reading from verse number 18, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now that's a response to Peter's confession in verse 16, when he answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very important scripture, the first mention of church in the new testament chapter 18 then chapter 18 and we'll just read verse twenty. For where two or three are gathered together in my name there am i in the midst of them now over to acts then in chapter 2 Acts 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together, and at all things Common and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men and as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now chapter 15, Chapter 15, reading from verse 4, And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Now look down the chapter to verse 22, Then it pleased uh, pleased at the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed uh, Barcebas and Silas chief men among the brethren and they wrote letters by them after this manner the apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia now over to <coughs> chapter uh, Romans chapter 16. Romans, in fact, we'll read just a verse in chapter 15, Romans 15, and verse 7. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And chapter 16, verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at... Synchria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her uh, in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many. Uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila my helpers in Christ Jesus who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved, Ephentus, who is the fruits of Achaia, unto Christ. And we know God will bless his word. Now, the title for the ministry, you may have uh, had a note of it, and that is further education with regard to assembly truth. And so I do want to maybe give it a little bit of a theme this week with regard to education. For some of of us, it will be revision. Uh, For some, it may be examination. You're maybe just looking into these things, newly saved perhaps, and you're wondering, what is it all about the church and the assembly? So with that in view, I'm going to give you a preview just of what I plan to do each night. Uh, I'm not sure sometimes this can, can put people off, but I'll take the risk anyway and give you what's on my mind, and that will maybe be helpful. So this evening I want to think of grammar basics. Now don't panic, we'll not be going into any detail about grammar, but I really want to think of five words and just define five words that are absolutely foundational when we come to speak of the assembly and the church. Tomorrow night then we're going to think about geographical boundaries and we'll think of finding the right place, the importance of finding the assembly the right place. Then Wednesday, Lord willing, I want to look at gifted students and the thought there will be just fulfilling our potential for God in the assembly. And then on Thursday night, Lord willing, we're going to look at 1 Timothy, and we'll give that the title of good behavior, and the importance of just order within the assembly, faithfulness. And then uh, carrying the theme on Friday night, I want to speak of graduation day, and we think of finishing the course. Because as we think of The truth with regard to the assembly and this educational theme, Uh, one of the reasons that it's appealed to me is just this. The moment you and I got saved, I trust everyone in the meeting here is saved, but every one of us, the moment that we were saved, we entered into the great school of God, and the moment we entered that school, we became learners. And every one of us continues to be learners. I don't know where you are as far as your education in this world is concerned. Maybe you're in the middle of it and you're just looking ahead to to high school and to university perhaps. Or maybe your school days are long behind you. But the fact of the matter is, the moment that you were saved, we all entered into the great school of God. And we became learners. And we're still learning. And we will continue to learn until, as I say, there will be a graduation day. And we think of that on Friday night. Wonderful thought. But just now, we're all learners. And though I'm here maybe to try and teach a little, I have been learning. And I am continuing to learn, even as I'm amongst every assembly that I visit. And you know, it's a wonderful thing to remember that. that we're, and that's a scriptural thing. That's the meaning of the word disciple after all, isn't it? A learner. Now you say, well, the the word disciple ceases to be used uh, in Acts 21, I think is the last reference to the the, the noun disciple, but the, the, the same Greek word is still used throughout the epistles. The idea of learning. And you remember on numerous occasions, Paul says to Timothy, he says, continue thou in the things that thou hast learned. And remember who you have learned them from, he would say to Timothy, the things that thou hast heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men who are able to teach others also. So learning is something that is essential for us all. And so I trust this evening and in the ensuing night that we'll all continue to be learners. And just to learn a little bit more. And as our brother has been reminding us to learn more about Christ. Because of the five words that I want to think of this evening. The first, I'm encouraged by that hymn. The first word is actually the name of this wonderful person. The person of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to think first of all of Christ. And in that we'll be thinking of the fact that we are a saved people. Then we'll think of the word church. What does this word mean? And in that I want us to think of the fact that we're a called out people. We're a separated people. Then I want just to touch on the word doctrine. Because these words are going to be, they're going to be surfacing throughout the week. And that's why I'm seeking to just define our terms this evening. So that we we're, we're just know what, what, what we mean. We want to think about doctrine. And <clears throat> that will tell us that we're an educated people. God doesn't leave us in the dark with regard to church truth. We we are fully uh, educated. We have a textbook before us. And we'll think of doctrine. Then I want to touch on the word fellowship. Now, that's a big subject, but I just want to really define the word. Because that would remind us that we're a partnered people. We're in this together. And we're sharing in it. And then finally tonight, I want to touch on this word that we have in Romans 15 and 16. Received. That's an important word when it comes to the assembly and church truth. And that would remind us that we are an accepted people and we're an appreciated people. We appreciate one another because we have received one another even as Christ received us. But as I say, we begin with Christ. And that is exceedingly important because we might be tempted, especially when we come to explain church truth, Uh, Just to start into thinking about how we gather, uh, and to think about the meetings that we have, uh, and to think about all sorts of, of important issues, but what is the underlying, and what is the foundational principle when it comes to the assembly? Well, can I say tonight, we must, we must begin with Christ. That is the starting place. That is the starting point. Why? Because quite simply, he is the foundation. And there's two things with regard to Christ that we must think of. We must think of Christ and his word and Christ and his work. Didn't we sing? So lovely there to sing it. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You see, you and I know that when it comes to the foundation of any building... The foundation really is not seen. But mind you, you'll know when that building is tested and it's given a bit of a shake, you'll know whether there's a sure foundation. So if we do not get these foundational words in our minds, and maybe just to revise them again, to see the importance this evening of what is the true foundation of all that we believe, it begins with a person, not a place. No, it begins with a person, and that person is Christ. And with regard to his word, very simply, well, isn't it lovely to think that Christ is the first person who spoke of the church? Matthew 16 and 18. As that confession comes from the lips of Peter, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. Speaking of himself, I'm thankful tonight, mind you, that Christ is the foundation and not Peter. Mind you, I have a lot of time for Peter, and there's none of us could ever probably lace his boots. But mind you, aren't we thankful that the church is not built upon Peter? Just a sinful man like any one of us. In fact, he was a man the Lord had to say, didn't he? Get thee behind me, Satan. He was a man who had to cry out to the Lord as he sunk beneath the waves. Lord, save me. Isn't it well that the church is not built on Peter? No, I'm thankful that the foundation is none other than Christ. And he speaks of it first as something that is future. Upon this rock, I will build future my church. And so he speaks of it first Christ and his word. But, of course, we must remember that there would never be a church at all if it were not for the fact of Christ and his work. And so we just pause tonight again, not only with the person of Christ, but the work of Christ and Calvary. You know, we love to preach in the gospel, don't we? For God so loved the world... And we preach it with gusto and with love in our souls for men and women. But don't forget that other other lovely verse concerning the love of Christ in Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. You see, there would never be a church were it not for Calvary. And why do I emphasize that tonight? Because it just reminds us, and it's good to be reminded on the first night, of the great cost to God to place you and I in the church. Maybe we don't think of that sometimes. As we gather, even on a Lord's Day morning, we, we, we do think, as we break bread, of the great cost. But just, just specifically this issue, did you ever think of what it cost God? that you and I might be a member of a local assembly. You know, as we're thinking of the theme of school, back in England, I don't know what it's like here, but some of the public schools, uh, I was reading that Eton College, to send your child to Eton College, it costs $51,000 for a year. That's, That's big money just to go to a particular school for a year. But I was thinking of this school, brethren and sisters, for you and I to be saved and to be placed into the church, which is his body, the body of Christ of all believers, and then to gather in a local assembly. What did it cost God? It cost him his well-beloved son and his precious blood. For Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. And so let us remember that we must buy the truth and sell it not. Think of what it cost God. And so we're handling costly issues this evening and this week. We're we're handling truth that cost God his well-beloved son. And thank God Christ was willing to pay the price, the pearl of great price, with his precious blood. And so there we start with Christ and a saved people, because as we come to think now of the church, what does this word church mean? Well, of course, if we had been living back in the first century, we wouldn't have been familiar with the word church, for English wasn't a language that really didn't come to about the 15th century. The Anglo-Saxons developed this language, but the New Testament, of course, was written in Greek. And it was written in, in a particular type of Greek, coin. Greek, they called it. That was just the language of the day. And the people, therefore, then would have been very familiar with this word, and it would have been this Greek word that every believer should know, and that is ecclesia. Now, well, we have to learn some Greek words this week. We can't not, we can't not think of the Bible and this truth regarding to the church and not think of these Greek words. Why? Because the language that scripture was written in was very precise. And so there's no room here for any willingness or, or any blurred uh, meaning with regard to these terms. They are very precise. And the people would have known what that term ecclesia meant. It meant simply a called out company. Because it was made up of two words really. Ek which means out of and then a kaleo, which means to call. So, so to call out, a called-out company. But we're not thinking of a called-out company of, of politicians. Oh, they would have been familiar with that. Or a called-out company of local councillors in a district. No, they would have been familiar with that. No, we're thinking of a called-out company of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, in the Acts, they were called at Antioch, Christians. and That was seemingly maybe a derogatory term that was given to them just because they sided with Christ. But you see, that's the people that would be called out. Why? Because this is a spiritual company. And of course, we might ask the question, therefore, as we think of a called out company, who called? Well, the answer to that is God. It was God who called. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, who was called? He called out sinners. And where did he call them from? He called them out of the world. By the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel, God has called out a distinct company of people who are saved by the grace of God and therefore called out. What was his purpose in calling them? He would call them out so that they would become part of a large body what is it? It's called the body of Christ. The church which is the body of Christ. Why is it called that? Because this body is made up of people who are in Christ. The moment you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us we are in Christ and therefore we are in the body of Christ. And that body of Christ, as we'll see just in a minute, is distinct. Because it occupies a distinct company of people in time from Pentecost right to the rapture of the church when the Lord comes. So he calls out this company and he's calling them out for himself. The Bible speaks of it as a bride. That's one of the names that's given to this company of believers that are called out and become part of the body of Christ. And so that's very important. And the reason that they were called out, was not only that God would have a people for himself as a body, but also that these people would then be gathered together in a locality, geographically speaking, so that we not only have the church which is the body of Christ, that is, every single person who is saved, but God wants the people who are saved to be gathered together in a locality, And so there you have the two aspects, the two distinctions, as we'll see with regard to the church. Now, before I deal with the distinctions, just another uh, aspect of this definition, a called-out company. Sometimes I feel that we put the emphasis, and rightly so, on the gathering together of God's people geographically. And maybe just a little bit, we forget about the importance of the fact that we are called out and separated. Now, where are we called out from? I've said already, we're called out of the world. Now, we, we must remember that, brethren and sisters, because there's just the danger that we could uh, slip back practically into the world and not reflect what we are positionally in Christ, called out, saved, and separated from the world. And that truth is expressed even in the epistle of Paul to Corinthians. What does he say in 2 Corinthians 6 and 17? He says, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. There is the practical aspect Of what we were positionally called out the moment we're saved. Now, let me take that a step further. That means that we're not just called out of the world as a whole, we're called out of every aspect of the world. That means the church is a distinct company called out not only from the world as a whole, from the world politically. Called out from the world, religiously. What oh, you say? I thought we were sort of a religious people. No, the religious called out from the, and I'll go even a step further. Called out from the evangelical world. What oh, you say? I, I thought we were part of the evangelical world. No, we are called out and separated from the world. In its entirety. Yes we live in the world. And we work in the world. And God has left us in the world. But grasp this. The uniqueness of the assembly is this. That it is a called out company. Out of the world. In Christ. And therefore we are a spiritual company. We are a heavenly people. Not an earthly people. That's why we're separated from the world, you see. That's why we're not part of any earthly organization. Because that is of the world. It is earthly. But we are a heavenly people. Why are we a heavenly people? Because our head is in Christ. You know, any school is only as good as its head. I have seen schools, and you know they get a new head, and the school, the standard goes up. And you know, they change heads and the standard goes down. Thank God when it comes to the church and this grand company, you know, the head never changes. Our head is Christ, and that is who. So just, I'm laying emphasis on that because there's just the danger that we can think we're part of of this world and part of that world, but no, we're separated from the world. And you know, that's one of the unique things about the assembly, and we have every scripture that we could turn to to emphasize that more. Now, what about further distinction when it comes to the assembly? I have sought to distinguish between the church which is his body, that is every believer who is saved, the moment that you are saved, you are part, a member of that body of Christ. You say, I haven't been baptized. It doesn't matter. The moment you're saved, you're part of the body, the church which is his body. You say, I'm not a member of a local church. I don't really, I don't go anywhere as such. Uh, I'm thinking about it. No. Well, because they're distinct. They're distinct in a number of different ways. And I'm not going to spend uh, too much time just giving you all the distinctions. But it will be worthwhile just making a few to to understand the point. So the moment I'm saved, I'm added to the church, which is his body. I can never, ever be excommunicated from the church, which is his body. When it comes to a local assembly, as we're going to see, I'm received into it. It may be that I decide to leave it. That's a sad thing. Even sadder, it may be that someone is excommunicated from it. In order to be in a local assembly, my Bible would teach me that it was they who gladly received his word and were baptized, and then part of a local assembly. Another thing I find in Revelation 2 and 3 is this, that it's possible for a local assembly to actually be removed, to no longer exist. That's sad. That could never be said of the church which is his body, the body of Christ. You see how they're distinct? It's not even that one is just a sort of a miniature of the other. No, 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 no. They're distinct and they're unique. And that means that while we subscribe fully 100% to the wonderful truth of the church which is his body, and we love to meet other believers who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, You see a man, maybe in the train, and he's sitting reading his Bible. And you talk to him, and you find out he's saved. Now, you might not agree with necessarily everything that he... You might go to... But the fact is, you're brothers and sisters in Christ, as far as the body of Christ is concerned. And that's precious. I tell you, it's precious sometimes when you're out preaching in the open air, and another Christian comes up to encourage you. But though we subscribe fully to that, that is not the ground on which we gather locally. No, we gather according to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forces Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or three are gathered together unto my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now you notice, on this rock I will build my church, the church which is his body, it belongs to him. Where two or three are gathered together unto my name. The local church is gathered unto his name. And therefore it is his authority. And so, therefore, we must always remember the truth upon which we gather. It is unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, owning his presence. Because when it's his name, it's his authority. That's why on the board outside there, there's no other man's name. As far as this assembly is concerned, there's no man's name out on the board. Because as soon as you put your name on it, or someone else puts their name on it, then the authority is related to them. And I'll tell you more than that, they start to get a bit of the glory as well. I'm thankful tonight that we begin with Christ we gather unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we look for Christ in his return. And as far as the assembly is concerned, what's it all about? It's all about Christ. You see, if I could get this over this week, we would have less trouble about people saying, well, I don't really get much out of the assembly. Well, the fact of the matter is, it's not about you getting something out of it so much. It's about Christ and what you put into it for his glory. And that's what that's what the criteria will be when it comes to the graduation on Friday night. And it mind you has challenged me as I've looked about, as I've looked at it. Well, if the assembly, is it just all about me? Oh no, we want to see that it's about Christ. It's unto his name that we gather. Now, just before I leave that distinction, another distinction I must point out is this. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you remember that the seven churches are there spoken of. As seven golden lampstands. Now let me point out. That they are individual lampstands. And that will help us to distinguish. Between the church. And Israel. I remember when I got saved. And I thought I'll get myself a few books. And the first book I ever bought. I still have it on my shelf. It's a big long book. It's by Clarence Larkin. The greatest dispensational book in the world ever I think is the title and I got it home and my it was full of charts and lots of things that I couldn't make head or tail off but you know I never forgot what it said on the first page what did it say it said this God has three groups of people that he deals with in scripture number one the Jew number two the Gentile and number three the church now those distinctions are vital for young people especially. Get those in your mind, the distinction between the Jew and the Gentile. Now you might think you don't need to hear that, but sometimes we assume that young people know just these distinctions. What, do you know what a Gentile is? Well a Gentile is someone who isn't a Jew. So if you're not a Jew tonight, then you're a Gentile. A Jew officially was someone really from the tribe of Judah, but came to encompass the whole nation of Israel. God's people. Now, we must make the distinction between the church and Israel. Very, very important. Why? Because Israel is God's earthly people. And when we trace Israel's history, it's all earthbound and earth-related. As God calls out a people, just to summarize the history of Israel, probably best to summarize it into three distinct periods of when they were exiled. And that was, you remember, first of all, in Egypt. And they were called out of Egypt, redeemed by that man Moses. Then we find them again in this earth, and they're exiled in Babylon. But they will return. God takes care of his earthly people. And he brings them back now through another man, Ezra. Not now a prophet, but a priest and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah. And Israel are brought back. But then what happens again? Oh, again they fall. And we find them now. Where are they today? Not in Egypt, Babylon, but they're scattered throughout the four corners of the earth. Why? Because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. They put him on a cross. The gospel went out to them, but they rejected it. Now, has God forgot his people? No, he hasn't cast off Israel. And Romans 11 tells us that in a future day, all Israel will be saved and they'll be brought back to the land and the Lord Jesus, his feet shall come back to earth and touch upon the Mount of Olives. But you say, is God without a people? No, he's not. You see, Israel, though they have been sidelined, just like a train that is set to the side of the tracks to allow others to pass through, God is now calling out another people. And that's the church. And that's distinct. Why? Because it's made up gloriously of Jew and Gentile. And Ephesians tells us that it is one new man. That's the proof that the church is distinct. From Israel. So always keep that distinction in your mind. Therefore, when we come to think of the local assembly, we're thinking of it now not as a seven branched menorah lampstand that was associated with Israel in the tabernacle and ten of them in the temple. No, we're thinking of just an individual lampstand because each local assembly is autonomous. That word autonomy really means it is responsible for its own government. It's not that we find uh, a central government organizing the different local churches. Each local assembly is responsible to Christ in its own sphere. So that therefore, if you hear of someone and they're saying to you, well, I I go to a church and it's a branch. This is the the, the branch in uh, the New York branch or the, the Philadelphia. That's not scriptural. We never read of a local assembly being a branch of something that is bigger. No, it's an individual local lampstand. So it's not a local branch of something that has a headquarters away in Nigeria or in some other part of the world. It's individual and unique because it is distinct and responsible to its risen head. Now that means that as you come to talk about the assembly Uh, We must be careful sometimes. Somebody maybe asks you at school, what church do you go to? Have you ever been asked that question? And you say, well, I go to the gospel hall. Well, in a sense, you do go to the gospel hall, but that's not the church that you go to. Because you don't really go to a church. No. You go to the gospel hall simply because that's where the assembly gathers. That's the building. And it's called that because we preach the gospel in this hall. But if this hall, God forbid, was burned down and you had to meet in the community center down the road, it would be no less an assembly of God. Because it's not the building. Another distinction between the church and Israel. We put no emphasis on the building. Lovely to see this lovely building. I was admiring it. And we're thankful to God for it. But listen. This assembly is no more holy, nor is it no more an assembly for whatever the building has around it or the decorations. Brethren and sisters, we must be careful about that. And we must present things in order and so on. And I'm all for that. But let us remember, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 3? He says, ye are the temple of God. He's taking them away from the buildings and the idolatry that was associated with it and all that went with buildings. And he says, no, ye are the temple, it's the people. Oh, I love that. He used to be taught as children, the church is the people, not the steeple. And that's true, it's the people. And therefore he says, if any man defile the temple of God, well, he says, the people that God has set apart. And therefore that's, so you see, young people could get all occupied, maybe with your friends and they're going to some place and it's very impressive as you look at the building and they've got a gymnasium and they've got a restaurant and they've got a cafe and they've got all sorts of things. Don't you be worried about that at all because you'll never find that in the Bible. No, you'll find that the emphasis and the preciousness is on the people. Why? Because that's the people that God paid for with his precious blood of his Son. Has gathered together. And you know, when it comes to the rapture, he's not going to take the building up. He's going to take the people. Oh yes, we put great emphasis on the people, not on the building. Now, that being the case, I want to think of this third word, doctrine. And I just want to touch on it because it would seem sometimes that this word, is a bit of a conversation stopper. You know, people love to talk about different subjects in the Bible. And you could talk about David, and you could talk about Daniel, and you could talk about, well, doves and everything. But mention doctrine, and they sort of get a bit uneasy. Well, there's nothing to be uneasy about, about this lovely word. And it's really a word that is so important because, in fact, the first time it's mentioned, it was a conversation stopper. Where was it mentioned first? I'll give you the reference, Matthew 7 and 28. Who is it in relation to the Lord Jesus? Do you know what it says of him? It says they were astonished at his doctrine. They couldn't believe what he was saying. You see how we're trying to just link everything to Christ this evening? Whether it's beginning with Christ, the church that belongs to Christ, and the doctrine, you see... It's just everything that we have before us in this book, the Word of God. That's doctrine. The word actually means teaching. Now, why am I emphasizing that is because there is a tendency amongst us sometimes, and we we maybe don't realize we're doing it, and that is we, we don't make the distinction between doctrine in its singularity and doctrine's plurality. Because when I read my Bible, I find this. But when we speak of the word of God in relation to all that relates to God's purposes and God's will for the assembly, it's doctrine singular. It's all one. When I read of doctrines, I'm actually thinking, yonder in Timothy, of the doctrines of devils. I'm thinking of the doctrines of men. In other words, I'm thinking of what man has designed and what man teaches not that which is spiritual. Now that's important because, you see, that that means that there's no room for us cherry-picking bits of the Bible and saying, well, I like that doctrine. And, you know, I'm quite happy with the doctrine of believer's baptism, but the doctrine of headship, well, that's not really relevant to us today. Well, it is because it's all one. You see, it's all doctrine, and therefore we must... Be careful that we see it as one whole. And we'll see on uh, Thursday night, Lord willing, that in Timothy, that epistle, that First Timothy, over and over again, it, it's mentioned with regard to doctrine, sound doctrine. And the word there is, is the word from which we get hygiene. Hygienic doctrine. Where will you find it, brethren and sisters? You'll not find it on YouTube Or you'll not find it on Google. But you'll find it first and foremost in the word of God. And so we commend the scriptures to young people tonight. Get acquainted with them. Get acquainted with doctrine. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it begins with Christ. And it ends with Christ. Because he is the master teacher. Oh he is. He's the one who communicates to us all the doctrine. He's the great teacher of You know, the Bible tells me, I love this, the Bible tells me that really he's he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the letters. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet that emphasizes the importance of Greek. He's the Alpha and the Omega. John tells me that he's the eternal word communicated to you and I that became flesh He's not only the Alpha and the Omega, and he's not only the Eternal Word, but it says in Hebrews, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. He's also the book. The volume of the scroll. That scroll in Revelation, who was worthy to open its seal? Christ and him alone, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, the first and the last. The Eternal Word, the one who comes in the volume of the book. But John tells me he's not only the volume of the book, he's actually, in fact, the whole library. John chapter 21, it tells me that, you know, there were many other things that Jesus did. And if they were all written down, the world itself could not contain the books that were written. The incomparable, indescribable Christ. You know, he's everything. And that's what goes to make up the doctrine when it comes to the assembly. We treat it with respect and another thing I say just before I leave it is this, we need to be careful too when it comes to doctrine and culture. You see sometimes there's a little bit of friction when it comes to the teaching of the assembly and culture now by culture we're talking about the traditions and we're talking about the uh, the different habits of of maybe different nationalities and peoples as they all because the assembly brings together a diversity of people both in nationality and in culture but you know the wonderful thing about this is that the scriptures and doctrine transcends culture always and we must remember that the greatest culture that the world has ever seen is Judaism. The strongest and the most powerful. But Paul teaches us time and time and again that there are things that will not matter when it comes to culture. And that we should allow just to be, to be there. That we don't make rules and regulations about. Uh, and for instance, you think in some countries, well, take even the head covering. In some places, well, even in this, in this gathering tonight, some will wear a veil, some will wear a hat. Some, those, are, those are not things that are, are doctrine. Now, if it is in your culture that there's a big emphasis, for instance, on uh, where people are as regard to social class, now, if that's something that's strong in your culture, when it comes to the door of the assembly, it must be left outside. There's no issues of class when it comes into the assembly, whether you've got a big job or a small job or no job. No, the point is this, when we come into the assembly, as far as that's concerned, we're all in one plane. And the epistle of James makes that clear. They were giving the man with a gold ring prominence. That should never be amongst God's people. It doesn't matter what your culture or nationality. No, we just see the distinction That comes when doctrine is applied. And you know, then we'll not get into too much trouble with culture. Number four, this important word, I trust we all know it, the word for fellowship. And if you're saved a long time, you'll have been well taught this Greek word koinonia. And it's a word that we've all come to love. If you're just just newly saved. Well, you write that word down and you look it up in your concordance and underline it and you see where it occurs first. How you say, that's easy, you read it tonight. Acts 2, uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in the fellowship. Well, not strictly speaking because the noun very similar to it, koinonis, occurs where? Right back in Luke 5 and verse 10. And that's exceedingly beautiful because that verse, you remember, tells us about James and John, the fishermen, the sons of Zebedee. And listen to what it says. It says they were partners with Simon. And Jesus goes on to say to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And so they're partners. What in relation to? In relation to a business. What's the business? It's the fishing business, they're sharing a boat. That's where fellowship is first introduced in Scripture. How, how beautiful and how important that we learn straight away what is fellowship all about? Well, there's the word certainly in the King James. They were partners. Partners. That's the underlying meaning of fellowship. It's partnership. In other words, together in something and very closely uh, related to that, not only partnership, but participation. You see, if you were bringing somebody into a business to share a fishing boat with, well, you wouldn't want somebody that never come out in the boat and never come out in the storm and never got involved in mending the nets. No, it was all to be involved in this partnership, to have a share in the boat. And another thing with fellowship is this. It's not only partnership and participation, but why is that the case? It's because the people all have something in common. You see, if you were bringing somebody into a fishing boat to share in a fishing boat, well, you wouldn't pick somebody who had never held a fishing rod in their life or knew nothing about fishing. I wouldn't be very, very good in going into a fishing business where I know nothing about fishing. They would want someone who had experience. And you see, just let's just let's push. I'm not pushing the metaphor too much because the assembly is never mentioned as a boat, but mind you, this is where it begins. How are we getting on, brethren and sisters? In the boat together? Are you happy to go out in the storm with your brethren and sisters? Hey? How's the fishing going? Are you there throwing out the net? When the brethren and sisters are going out tracting. you say I'll not go out in the boat that day. It's too stormy. Might get wet. You know how how fragile we are. When it comes to this business. Together brethren and sisters. You know the world. I'll travel 60 miles. And they'll they'll pay 100 pounds to do it. And they'll stand in the rain. And cheer on their greatest team. And yet. If we have to go out and get a drop of rain. We nearly fold up. We're so fragile, but we're in this together. Well, that's the thing, that they were in it together. And you see, where does it all begin? Well, this fellowship, its origin, we must, we must go back to its origin, always go back to the origin of the thing. And the origin of fellowship is with God himself. First Corinthians chapter 1, what does it say there? God is faithful. By whom he has called us unto the fellowship of his Son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. The fellowship that existed between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What a holy fellowship. What a unity as we were thinking of yesterday. And yet, we have been called into that. Now what's that word in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? called. Isn't it interesting? It's the Greek word kaleo again. You see, a called out company, called out, called into, called into not only a a church which is the body of Christ, the church which is the body of Christ, but in that the fellowship. And doesn't it make perfect sense? Because we have been called into this fellowship through the gospel. What is it that we all have in common? Number one, we're all saved. That's the fellowship of the family of God that exists in the body of Christ. Every person who is in the body of Christ enjoys the fellowship of God's family because we're all saved, we're born again, and the moment we're born again, we're born into the family of God. We're sons of God. Oh, we love to sing, don't we? And to quote, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. That's the origin of our fellowship. That makes it a high and lofty thing, brethren and sisters. And it teaches me this fundamental principle about fellowship. And it's this. It is first and foremost something that is spiritual. It is a spiritual fellowship. Before ever it is social. Now it is social when it comes to the local assembly. What is horizontal is now coming down vertically and is permeating the local company of believers gathered geographically in a location. Why? Because we have something in common. We're saved. We're in Christ. But it doesn't stop there because the local company has something else it's not only that we have in common, we're saved and in Christ. We're part of a local church. But we also have the same doctrine. We believe that the Bible teaches the same thing. We're agreed in what the Bible teaches. And therefore, what we have in common brings us together together. According to the word of God, according to the will of God, so that we have now not only the origin of fellowship, 1 Corinthians 1, but in Acts 2, the order of fellowship. What is it? They that gladly received his word, that's in Christ, were baptized, obedience to the word of God. They continued steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine. The fellowship, the breaking of bread and in prayers. Now you see God's order. And we dare not alter it. In other words, the fellowship flows from the doctrine. And that is really what brings us together. And what we have in common is not only that we are in Christ, but we are all of the one when it comes to the singularity of doctrine. And that's why, sadly, there is so much division amongst the people of God with regards to fellowship, because it is not properly understood. And the prevailing thought in many places is this. It doesn't matter what you believe. Just let's all come together and enjoy a cup of coffee and a chocolate biscuit. That's what good fellowship is. Well, you know, there's no one more likes a cup of coffee and a chocolate biscuit more than the one who stands before you to sit down with our brothers and sisters and to enjoy the social aspect of fellowship and to be able to enjoy the fellowship that we enjoy one with the other. But brethren and sisters, it will never work if it's not flowing from our agreement in the word of God and the scriptures. Because what did that man on the Damascus road who was saved? What was the first question he asked? Lord, oh, he's in Christ, but he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What's the will of God? Not I would like to do something for you, Lord. No, what wilt thou have me to do? A willingness to obey the word of God. He heard what God would have him do. He says, go into the city and it shall be shown what, and he just was obedient to the word of God. And so therefore, let us remember, this is the very basis of fellowship. Obedience to the Word of God, the doctrine, the fellowship. And what will be the outcome of that? Well, it will be the breaking of bread, because that's what the Word of God teaches us. That's what the doctrine is. And it will be prayer, as we'll see on Thursday night, 1 Timothy 2. The assembly prayer meeting is in Scripture. And therefore, it's beautiful, and we have a responsibility to it. The obligation, we could say, of fellowship, therefore is seen with regard to the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we'll maybe develop it on another night. And you'll notice how the order of the bread and the cup is reversed because Paul is teaching us that before we enjoy the framework of fellowship seen in the bread that is broken, we'll see the very foundation of fellowship, the communion Of the blood of Christ. That word communion is the exact word in Acts 2, fellowship. And what is the communion? What is the foundation of fellowship? It is the precious blood of Christ. We're back to Christ again. Listen. None of us would be here tonight enjoying one another's fellowship if it were not for the blood of Christ. Brethren and sisters, isn't that a wonderful thought? If it not for the fact that the man of Calvary was wounded for our transgressions, we would never know one another. We would never be brought together to sit and enjoy one another's company. Do we value it? Oh, the preciousness of fellowship. Purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Do you want proof for it? 1 John chapter 1. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Oh, the wonder of fellowship. May we value it. And as I finish... The final word is received. Now you may say, well, what has this really got to do with the local assembly? And maybe for younger people, it's not something that you give much thought of. But uh, very often, maybe a young person is is asking this question. Maybe someone here, and you're not in the assembly, and you're thinking along these lines, which church should I join? Well, the answer really is, No church. You don't join a church, according to the Bible. It's not about joining a club. It's not about joining an organization. No, it's actually about being received into the local church. When it comes to the church which is his body, you are added to that automatically the moment you're saved. You're not added to a local church the moment you're saved. No, you want to be received. In fact, the only man who ever tried to join a church was the Apostle Paul in Acts 9 there. yonder, He tried to, he essayed to join himself to the church at Jerusalem. And well, I dread to think what they must have thought as they saw Saul coming up the car park that Sunday morning. And... Well, he came back the next Sunday with Barnabas and he was received. He had commendation. You see, it's important who comes into this fellowship. That's the same even in any earthly fellowship. Can you imagine some of these prestigious fellowships in the world? The the fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons, for instance. You just wouldn't turn up at that and expect to be added or to, to be received into it because You you just had a first aid course. I tell you, there's a standard for fellowship. So it is, brethren and sisters, in the local assembly. Two minutes, just follow this word received with, with me for a moment. Romans 15, you notice that it says there, this is the key that I think unlocks it, that we should receive one another even as Christ received us to the glory of God. Now, how did Christ receive us? Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? To as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of men. We were received at conversion. But not only were we received by Christ at conversion, not only did we receive him, but but he received us. Ever think of that? This man receiveth sinners. Aren't we glad that he received us? Not only we received him. Remember, we only love him because he first loved us. We only could receive him because he was prepared to receive us. Oh, the wonder of it. But then the second thing we received, Acts 2, it says there, they that gladly received his word. You see, inseparable from Christ even at conversion is his word. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. They that gladly received his word they were saved. What else did they receive the moment they were received that they were saved? They received the gift of eternal life thus salvation, but they also received the holy spirit. It says that next too, receive you'll receive the gift of the holy ghost. We received the holy spirit. All that At salvation. And so when it comes to a local assembly, it is that we are received by the assembly. And that word received really means this, to accept that which is without, to accept it within. And so when we come to Romans 16, we find this letter of commendation is a good idea where you're not known. It's also a greeting from one assembly to the other. But Paul, writing this letter of commendation, he says that you might receive our sister Phoebe. And how is she to be received? To be received in the Lord. Now what does that tell me? It tells me a little bit about her history. It tells me that she was in another assembly at Sincrea, And she's to be received in the Lord as becometh saints. That tells me that reception is something that is holy, because that's what saints means, It's the holy ones. You know, as I finish, could I just add that there's a holiness with God's assembly. It must be so. And I wonder sometimes, are we losing, and I speak to myself, do I forget sometimes the holiness of God? As I come into his presence, as I discover that where two or three are gathered together unto my name, there am I in the midst of them. The holiness of God. Brethren and sisters, he's as holy in 2020 AD as he was in 2020 BC. His unchanging holiness. O receiver has become of saints. How but why is he to be received? That you might be a help unto her. As she was a succour unto many. You see, the fact of the matter is this, brethren and sisters, the assembly needs you. This assembly needs you. It needs your help. Really does. At every meeting it needs you. But you know something else. You need the assembly. God never meant a Christian to live in isolation. You need the fellowship of the saints. You desperately need it. And so do I. I couldn't survive without it. I tell you, I'm thankful for God's assembly. Thankful that I was ever received into it. Thankful that Christ ever received a sinner like me. And that an assembly ever received me too. We're thankful for it. We don't appreciate it, we acknowledge Oh, the wonder of God's assembly. Is there anything better than that, brethren and sisters? Well, as I finish, you know, I think there is something even even higher. There's another received. John 14, listen to what Jesus says. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And do what? Receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Wonderful to have him in our midst. But what will it be on that day when we'll be with him in his presence? It will not need a letter of commendation to get into heaven. He'll receive us with open arms. He'll receive us because he promised he would. And there we will be with him for all eternity because that breaking of bread, the outworking of the doctrine to the fellowship, it is, says Paul, only as oft as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do show forth the Lord's death Till he come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, shall we pray.